Our first reading is from the book of Psalms, chapter 78. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from the book of Acts, chapter 1. So when the disciples had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As you are able, please stand for the reading of the gospel. Our gospel is from the book of St. John, chapter 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of this world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Well, dear brothers and sisters of Cornerstone, grace and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We have a lot to celebrate today. We have a lot for us to be thankful that God is doing and that God has done for us. And, and always one of the questions that comes across my mind in a moment like this is, what's next? Right? What happens next? What happens next is, is really related to the innate need that we have for order. It's something that's, that's preyed upon by, by TV shows. Some of you who are of a certain age remember when, when TV shows used to end in the spring and resume in the fall and there was no Netflix or anything where you could binge them. And so people would eagerly await the next episode. And that cliffhanger that happened at the end of the season in the spring was supposed to carry you over to keep the interest until the fall. Remember some of the most famous TV episodes of all time, like the TV show Dallas, who shot JR, right? The episode ended with, with one of the main characters laying on the ground having been shot twice. 
and he had to wait until the fall. In fact, everyone was talking about who shot JR and was he still alive? By the way, it was his sister-in-law. I don't worry about giving you a spoiler there because the show was actually from 1980. You could fast forward a bit to show that people now are binge watching the show Friends. And Ross was set to marry Emily at the altar. And instead of saying the name Emily, he said the name Rachel. And that's how the episode cut. It's you were left to figure out what was going to happen next. And we needed that order, and so we anticipated it. That happens a lot in stories, where we want to know the next thing. We, we kind of need to know the next thing. We need that sort of completion and order. And the truth is, the Bible has a lot of stories that don't tell us exactly what happens next either. Uh, I think of some of my favorites, one of them being from the book of Acts, where the Apostle Peter has been put in prison. This is Acts chapter 12. And he's been put in prison in a brutal way, and they've, they've locked him down to make sure that nothing extraordinary happens. But an angel of the Lord appears, and the angel breaks Peter out of, this, uh, out of this prison in such a way that Peter doesn't even realize that he's having it happen to him. He thinks it's a dream. And the angel leaves him on the street, and when the angel leaves him, he then finds his way to the house where a lot of the other followers of Jesus are meeting. And he goes and he knocks on the gate, and there's a woman there named Rhoda, and Rhoda hears him calling and knocking on the gate, recognizes his voice, and instead of going to open the door, open the gate for him to come in, she goes and tells everybody else, and she forgets to let him in. They debate about whether it's real or not, and then finally someone lets him in, and then he tells them everything that happened. But I always find it interesting that, that story doesn't tell us what happens immediately after. I mean, after Peter told them, the angel set me free, God did this amazing thing, did he then chastise Rhoda saying, hey, the next time somebody's at the door and something miraculous has happened, perhaps you want to let them in? What was the next thing that he said to the followers of Jesus in that moment? Well, we don't know, and we're not given those details because, frankly, they're not really that important. But it also reminds me of when those details are important and when God does intend for us to know those details. And, and this day, we're celebrating the Ascension, the Ascension of Jesus, which happens 40 days after Jesus' resurrection. He has already appeared to most of his disciples during that time. And now as he goes out to the Mount of Olives, Mount of Olivet, excuse me, he goes out and ascends before them. But first he gives them instructions. They're going to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the age. And in the midst of his teaching, he then ascends into heaven. He actually bodily lifts off the ground. Somehow we don't know what it looked like. And then he goes up and he is hidden by a cloud where he disappears from their sight. And it's so overwhelming, so shocking, that the disciples who are there don't even notice that in the midst of the moment, they've received two visitors. It's pretty clear from the way that Luke writes that these two visitors are actually angels. And these two angels come and they're standing right next to the apostles. And as the men are looking up into the sky, the apostles, uh, excuse me, the angels ask the apostles, why are you standing here gazing up into the sky? And they don't seem startled at all that there are angels there. Instead, they have to go further and to say the same Jesus as you saw go up in the same way will return. And the blessing that they receive from this moment is the blessing of knowing that they are God's servants. But it also reminds me of of that question, what happens next? Because from that moment then, the disciples will go and do remarkable, amazing things. Amazing things to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of Jesus Christ all throughout. But you see, they actually already knew what was going to happen next. They knew because Jesus had specifically told them and he had prayed about this in John chapter 17. In John chapter 17, our, our gospel reading for today, 
Jesus is praying what we call the high priestly prayer. And he's praying this in the upper room. He's praying this while the disciples are present, after the Passover meal has been served, after he's already instituted Holy Communion, after he's already washed their feet. And now he's praying to his Father. Different prayer than he prayed in the garden. And as he's praying to his Father, to to our God, as he's praying these things, he actually prays about what's going to happen next. He specifically says that he wants God the Father to assure them that he will always be present, not physically in the same way, and he's already prayed about the coming of the Holy Spirit, but he wants to assure them that because his love, the love of Jesus, dwells in the hearts of his followers, that Jesus will always be present with them. And his prayer is that love would sustain them no matter what came their way. And so in the midst of the prayer, this is what he prays. He prays, Holy Father, keep them in your name. Keep them in the name that you have given to me, that they may be one even as we are one. That's verse 11. That they may be one even as we are one. And we're left to know, of course, that the Father and the Son are are so inextricably bound that they are one. One God that we worship with the Holy Spirit. And we know he's saying we want, he wants all of us to be that same closeness, to have that same unity among us. He wants this for all believers. And what's remarkable is that Jesus is praying this. He's praying for his love to be on us, for his name to be on us. He's praying for this unity to be, unity to be true of us even before the crucifixion happens. Because he will go from this moment to be arrested. He will go to the cross, there to be the savior of all, to bear our sins, of our, of our unloveliness and our unlovingness. He goes to the cross, but doesn't stay dead, right? Instead, three days later, rises triumphantly from the grave. And what Jesus is speaking of here in John 17 is actually beyond all of that, because he speaks about when he will depart this world. And that departure is the ascension. You see, we know what happens next. We know what happens next because God is still at work. And what happens next is that the story continues. The story continues when God is at work. And God's story continues to be told. And God's story continues to be told through us. It's the remarkable nature of God entrusting us with this word. This word which lives in Jesus. This word that was Jesus who now comes to dwell and to live with us in his love. To place his name on us and to make us one. So that together we might do remarkable things for the gospel. What happens next? The story continues. Because God's still at work. And you know, it's important for us to tell the story of God's work. It's important for us to be reminded that that God doesn't just act once and disappear. No, God is a personal God who continually works in the lives of the believers and continually works in our lives, in the life of the church. And there are remarkable things that we can do together. There's things that we can tell one another, remind one another. You know, it's possible that we could end up just like the disciples, just like the apostles standing there at the Mount of Ascension, gazing up into the sky, remarking about what God had done, that we missed the moment and what God is doing. And that's actually why I'm out here in Fishers. And most of you will recognize the Fishers site behind me and you'll, you'll recognize some of the marks, even the cross behind me that's wrapped in the lights that illuminate it at Christmas and Easter. And we tell the story of Jesus Christ in this place. We tell the story of Jesus Christ in all of Cornerstone. But I'm here for a specific reason. You see, our last capital campaign 
the campaign that we called Hearts Compelled to Share, raised a lot of money due to the generosity of God's people and raised a lot of money to build this site behind me. And I'm not sure that we always tell the next story. We don't always tell what happens next. And so it's important to be reminded that those dollars weren't just spent to build a nice facility. They were spent so that the gospel of Jesus Christ might have an anchor, a foothold here in the community of Fishers through, through Cornerstone. And that's exactly what's happened. What happens next? Well, people started to come for worship, joining the core group that had already joined from, from Cornerstone Carmel. And that group grew and grew. And yes, we had that interruption for a while, but we know now that we've been resumed and now that we're back at ministry, it's been remarkable. The site is once again around 450 in worship. Wonderful things happening through the staff that are here, through, through Pastor Kevin, through Marshall, our new worship leader, through Trisha and Becca and all the others that serve out of this site. How wonderful they all are. And the ministry that's being carried on is a ministry that continues. And it's not just done by the staff. I'm, I'm merely mentioning them because they're wonderful leaders. But the people who are here doing such great things like the community garden that happens at the back of the lot where tons, literally tons, of produce has been donated to local food pantries, where there have been in-gatherings so others can be blessed by it. And especially, you know the hallmark of this site. The hallmark is the play area, which is behind those big windows right there. And thousands of children have come, literally thousands of children, such that our identity in this community is, is tied to that play area. Well, people will say, oh, I know that church. That's the church with the play area. Remember when we started in Fishers, when we started this idea, we said we wanted to be a place where the community knew that their children were safe because we care about children in the same way that they do. And we've done that. We've accomplished that. That's what happened next. And I could tell other stories as well, not, not just about Fishers. I'm, I'm only using this one because it's an obvious visual. But there are remarkable things that are happening at our Carmel site as well. There are remarkable things that are happening at our Indy site and what a blessing that has been. With the addition of Eagle Creek, we've seen such amazing growth there already, beginning with Root Beer Float Day, when just hundreds of people turned out from the community. It's amazing. And it's important for us to tell these stories so that we remember what happens next. So we remember that God is still at work. So we remember that the story continues. And it continues through us. And so now we're beginning a capital campaign, another capital campaign, called Forward Together. And Forward Together is another opportunity for us to emphasize the unity that is ours, that John chapter 17 prayer which Jesus prayed, make them one, Father, as we are one. Make them one in your name. And we are one in the name of God. We're one in the name that's been placed on us in baptism as we are his collected people gathered together to receive his gifts. And we're one in the mission that he calls us to the mission of Cornerstone, to be about the business of Jesus, to do those things that he called his apostles to do first, that he calls his church to do every single day, to know that the story continues. And so we start a capital campaign. And the campaign is, is all about some specific things, things that will be of benefit to the ministry. And I'll remind you about the capital campaign, and you'll hear about this in the weeks and days to come. Our purpose with this capital campaign is to raise specific funds that are over and above the general budget so that we can do different things, so that together we can join in these things and be an encouragement to one another. A capital campaign is also a time for us to reconsider and grow in our own discipleship, not just in the discipleship and the grace of giving, but in more. 
in all that we do as we serve the Lord as his disciples. A campaign is also a way for us to demonstrate God's generosity and blessing to us. And so we rejoice that we have the opportunity to give equal sacrifice, even though the gifts won't all be equal. We want to make an every member visitation. And so my hope for you is that you would be open to that, that you'd receive it. If we have some disciples who are making these visits to others who will come to your home to visit with you wherever you'd like, to share with you about the campaign, and then you have the opportunity to make a generous pledge and to, to contribute to this for what God is going to do next. And it's not just going to happen here at Fisher's site, it's going to happen at all of our sites, where we have the opportunity to continue forward in the ministry that Jesus has called us to. We have the opportunity to tell everyone about the, the wonderful things that God has done and to spread that word to the next generation. I'm excited about this campaign, and I hope that you are too. Excited about the opportunity we have to demonstrate the unity that Jesus prayed about. The unity that he works among us through the power of his Holy Spirit. And to celebrate, brothers and sisters, what happens next. The story continues because God is graciously at work. May the Lord bless and keep you this week and always. Peace be with you. In the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.